We Wear the Ring Episode 5, Lots and Lots of Games. Welcome back, Duquesne fans, to another episode of We Wear the Ring. This is, of course, a podcast about Duquesne sports and all of the people who love them. Uh, On a personal note, before we get started, I want to thank you for your patience with this episode. Uh, We dealt with a family emergency last week. Everything is fine now, thankfully, right in time for the holiday. But uh, it did take a little bit of doing just to make sure that all of our ducks were in a row. And again, everything is fine. Now, that being said, uh, in between shows here there's been a lot of game action so steve we have a lot to talk about don't we yeah a whopping eight games so (laughs) yes we don't get we don't uh, get that money piled up most of the time no no not generally at all so we have kind of a fun one here we're going to try and get through all eight games without making it take up you know five hours or even one hour so uh let's let's get it together um i guess we should also say before we do that uh merry christmas to all duquesne fans out there and, and a happy new year after that though uh we hope we'll be back with one more around the new year but yeah merry christmas happy new year hope you get to spend it with people you love and if you can't do that at least people you can tolerate all right so we are going to start with the women's basketball team steve they lost three of their last four. Now, varying degrees of difficulty in these opponents, but let's start with University of Central Florida. That would have been nice. I think it was probably like a 40-60 shot uh, for the women going in. Yeah, at home, I'd like to think that the odds were pretty much a coin flip. Uh, but I mean that would have been a really nice looking win. I mean they've I, I don't remember off the top of my head what uh, Central Florida's RPI was coming into that game, but they would have been a nice resume builder. Uh, you know they are a really solid team. Uh, they're going to be a team that's going to be competing for bids later on this season. Uh, I would imagine you know they're going to be looking to pretty strong in the uh, American this year as well. So it would have been a great win on paper. Uh, just never quite got it going. Um, you know, Central Florida really just seemed to grind them out in the second half. You know, never really gave them a chance to get back into it. Uh, you know, just uh, one of those deals. I mean, you don't mind dropping that game, but it's one of those ones that you have to make up for later on if you do. Um, you know, and and you know, given some of the losses earlier in the season, the Dukes were running out of those resume building opportunities. Yeah, I, I think, well, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, I mean, U- UCF just really came out, doubled them up in the first uh, the first quarter there, 24-12. to 12, And um, as you say, never a chance to get back into it. They tried in the second, but UCF was just a step ahead. I mean, relatively even in the third and fourth, but just not there. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, the way that they came out flat, and I don't think it's really the first time that we've seen that this season from the women, uh, they just kind of came out flat in the first, and uh, that really kind of doomed them for the rest of the game. Yeah, and, and again, I think that's a preview for another game that's coming up that we're going to be talking about here. Um, but, you know, again, it's, um, it, I don't know, it, it's just, uh, it, it's kind of weird watching them struggle. Uh, you know, uh, thought so many, um, you know, thought, thought this was going to be a really great year for them. Thought there was a ton of experience on the team. Uh, you know, just kind of, you know, they they just still feel like they have not gotten into a rhythm. And I think an in rhythm Duquesne team, a team that's playing to their talent level, I think that they're uh, they're in much better shape against Central Florida. It's just, you know, I, I think that's a, a certainly better than a coin flip. Uh, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. If they are so, right. Um, I, I don't think there's a whole lot else to say about that one. Let's move on then to ETSU. Um, you know, once again, the, the Dukes won this one, and they looked pretty good doing it for much of the game. Um, that being said, they they kind of came out flat again. You know, uh, ETSU outscored them in the first quarter. I would say they played relatively evenly uh, most of the game. It was really only in the second that the Dukes found separation. Um, uh, I, I mean... It's an eight-point win, and that's nice, especially at the relatively lower scoring levels that you tend to see in women's basketball. Eight points is pretty good, but I, I you know, I, I, I'm finding myself at a loss for words of what to say. It was a win. There were things they did that looked good, but 
there's still some elements that were clearly missing. I feel like a, a, a team like Eastern Tennessee coming in with uh, not just their record, but with their, their resume and what they've done lately the last couple of years, you really expected them to lay into them a little bit harder. Yeah, I mean, it's it, they haven't really found a, a, a they haven't really blown anyone out, you know. And, and I mean, I, I know blowouts aren't all that important, um, especially for a developing team. But this is again a team that's supposed to be on top of their game. You know, you'd like to see them build confidence and really just crush somebody. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if I don't know if Eastern Tennessee was really that team, um, but at the same time. <laughs> You know, it's it's one of those things you want to see them build, you know, get some momentum going, you know, something that they can really build on. Um, you know, one of the things that I've sort of observed during this stretch is it seemed like Voinovich and, and Amagroso, uh, Amagroso had an excellent game against Eastern Tennessee, uh, you know, but it mm-hmm. seemed like the two of them have been alternating solid contributions um it, it, you know one of when one of them's doing well the other one's struggling when the other one you know and I, I, the data probably doesn't back me up here but um well actually we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit steve but okay. I'm, i think this is a good part to put it in um specifically about uh chastity amagrasso right now um for one she was in double figures only one of those last four games and that okay. was in their win and in fact, in every single loss that the Dukes have had so far this year, she's been in single digits. Hmm. And I think you kind of have to start to wonder, are the Dukes too one-dimensional? You know, if you look at the bench points, and we've talked about it a little bit, we've had some players show flashes, uh, but if you look at the bench points, they're not really there. You know, Amanda Kalen popped in eight in that game, um, which is which is good, uh, six in another. I mean, she's been fairly consistent, sometimes hitting double figures, but there's not a lot beyond what the guards have been doing, for one. And uh, again, all of their losses are games where Chastity was single digits. Um Oftentimes, seven, six or seven points, maybe less. And, and they really haven't had the reliant, or excuse me, the reliable third head to the monster. Um, I mean, really, they haven't had the reliable second head to the monster in a lot of games. I mean, I think, um, again, jumping ahead, I, I think that uh, the last game uh, against Liberty, you know, Kadri Loss was the only player that was in double figures uh, for the Dukes. I mean, she had... 20 plus points no one else had more than seven um you know which is an issue a huge issue um you know those secondary contribute contributions you know the third level contributions you know i I mean the stars aren't consistently producing but i think there's enough talent on this bench that they could be making up for some of that you know the 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 main players falling off a Mm -hmm. bit um I will say I think I think Kadrian has been pretty consistent uh, even through this stretch, but go- going back a little ways as well, um, she could very well be uh, in that position. I mean, that being said, she's still. I mean, she's listed as a guard slash forward. Sure. You know, it's it's still looking a little more at the outside. You know what I mean? The the Dukes. I think part of the problem could be that they might be a little too one dimensional. Could be. I mean. Um, I, I mean, let, let's let's. Let's fast forward. I mean, Syracuse, we can just breeze past it this way. Syracuse is tough. Power 5 school, yeah. good program. We didn't expect to win that. Um, I I mean, I'm I'm going to disagree with you slightly there. I mean, I think oh, if you okay. are an at-large team, at you know, I, I mean, granted it was on a neutral court. I, I mean, I'd like to see that game be a little bit more competitive than that. I mean, you know, the Duquesne teams of – the recent past have beaten that caliber of, of school. I mean, again, a lot of those times when they do win those games, they are at the AJ Palumbo Center. But again, for them to, to to earn that large bid, they're going to need to at least have one of those types of wins on their resume. No, that's true. You know, so um, that that's true, and I think that's something else we're going to talk about. But I, I wanted to I wanted to kind of brush past that to get to the Liberty game because that was the surprise and that's where some of the stats were coming in. And when I bring up the Dukes maybe being one dimensional there, I mean, gosh, I don't know what to say about Liberty except for two of 23 from the perimeter. Mm -hmm. And and this is a Duquesne team that's meant to have some excellent perimeter shooters too. Yes. Uh, You know, and, and if, if you, you know, if, if you're not playing your game and you're not executing your game, you're not going to win many. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of as simple as that. 
Well, yeah, I mean, and unfortunately, it's not happening. They're not falling, and that's kind of been the case for um, for much of this season. Or they'll be really streaky. Like if we let's let's jump back to Eastern Tennessee. Uh-huh. Um, the first half, I think they were something like forty percent from three. The second half, nil, not. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I I think that's a problem. They're either they're. We have some players who are showing to be a bit streaky so far this year. Um, and, I mean, I think the numbers are kind of bearing that out. But right now, so far, as go as goes Chastity Amagrasso, so mm-hmm. goes the Dukes. Yeah, and I think, you know, to, to sort of add on to some of the points you were just making, you know, they scored four points, I want to say, in the fourth quarter against Liberty. You know, so I think they yes. were outscored by, you know, nine. And, I mean, ultimately, that was the difference. They went ice cold when the game was on the line. And... You you know, that just, they sank, you know, you know, at the end. I mean, that's, that's really kind of all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's challenging and it's tough to look at this team doing this because so much was expected of them. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and, and the thing of it is the talent is still there. I mean, yes. that hasn't gone away. I mean, you know, at some point, I, I still genuinely believe that they are going to get it together. And when they do get it together, they are going to be the best team in the Atlantic 10 as was, uh, you know, preordained upon them. You know, I, I think that, you know, uh, as soon as it starts to click, they're the favorites. Because at this point, they're not an at-large team. I think we can both agree on that, right? Yeah, I, I think a couple weeks ago we said, you know, hey, don't worry, they haven't really lost anything yet. Well, uh, I, they've certainly lost any at-large potential they had. And, and I want to zero in on something you said, Steve. You're absolutely right. The talent is here. These ladies are all are talented basketball players. We've seen what they can do, what they're capable of. Dan Burt is a talented coach. We've seen what he can do and what he's capable of. So despite the fact that there's some criticism going on in this conversation, absolutely love this mm-hmm. team, absolutely believe in this team. It's just it's just tough to watch right now and try and figure out what's going on. You know, I, I think part of the conversation here, because uh, we want to have a generally – I wouldn't say positive without being rose colored is sure. a fair way to look at it. Uh, vibe to our um, presentation here. Um, I, I think we got to look for the reasons behind what's going on and not just kind of say, well, they lost. Okay, let's move on. You know, we yeah. have to dig into that. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think um, that I agree with that 100%. Um, and I do think that, you know, this team, if, if they are able to click, in the mm-hmm. third week of February, they are they they could easily I mean, they could go they could win just enough to get into the Atlantic Ten tournament. If they click in the third week of February, they could still easily end up in the NCAA tournament because they have the talent to win the Atlantic Ten tournament. I I really genuinely believe that this year. Well, I I, I certainly hope so. I, I certainly hope so. Um, let, let me ask you this, Steve. Is it possible maybe did, – did they overreach with this schedule? I mean, if you really look at what the, the schedule has looked like this year, the, the kinds of teams they've they've gone up against, I think – I mean, there's an argument that this uh, non-conference schedule has been a little bit of a meat grinder. Yeah, but I think you need it. I, I really do. Um, the Atlantic 10, as far as the women go, does not it, – it's never a top-heavy league. Uh, right. I shouldn't say it's never a top-heavy league. It, it doesn't have the base um, at the top or the depth at the top to support an at-large bid. You have to get those big wins out of conference, which is part of the reason why, you know, we've been saying, you know, win three, you know, I, I think it was, uh, you know, win three of the next five and, you know, they're in good shape. I think this is yes. going back to the Penn State game. Um, you know, I mean, they ended up winning two out of, you know, excuse me, I think it was between, Three out of the f- next four between Penn State and Syracuse. I think we right. sort of overlooked Liberty um, at the time, uh, and they ended up winning. You know, <laughs> certainly not overlooking them now. Yeah. Yeah. No. Sorry, guys. Um, they need to schedule those games. They need that tough out of conference schedule because they're not going to have, you know, three top fifty teams in conference. They're not going to have another three top 100 teams uh, beyond that. So six really good teams at the top besides themselves. It's just not there. They're going to probably, I mean, I haven't looked at the conference RPI lately, but I'd be willing to bet that there's more that are 
you know, 150 plus in the Atlantic 10 than there are, you know, uh, in the top 100, you know, so it's just not, the caliber is just not there, you know. And that's a fair point. And I think we should also say with uh, just two games left before A-10 conference play begins for the ladies, that the best record in the A-10 right now is seven and five. Yeah. So, I mean, they're really not that far off, at least from a pure record standpoint. Um, obviously, the A-10 standings are going to be the ones that matter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in the conference, you know, we've talked about it on the men's side, but we can look at it on the women's side as well. The conference is struggling a bit this non-conference mm-hmm. season. In fact, I think uh, I was looking at the scores today. I think St. Bonaventure got just like absolutely destroyed by uh, by Buffalo. Like, like really, really bad. Like, bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's kind of indicative of, you know, just why the Atlantic 10 is kind of down right now. I mean, St. Bonaventure has historically been... Um, you know, or at least I shouldn't say historically, but in recent years, they've been a very important program in, in terms of the health of the conference. It seems like, you know, when St. Bonaventure is doing well for the men's side and the women's side, that means the Atlantic 10 is generally pretty well. When they're down, it they really kind of, you know, they, they hurt the league, you know, um, you know, because when they've been bad, they've been really bad. You know, um, I think the men right now are probably looking at bringing in uh, a two, you know, an RPI in the two fifty range into Atlantic Ten play, and that's just not, you know, it, it's going to hurt the league. I mean, there's really no way around that. I mean, if you think you look at the last time the league was down, uh, you know, in the when they got the single bid the last time around again, you had, you know, I mean, granted they weren't the only ones with a three hundred plus RPI in the conference that year, but. Um, you know, St. Bonaventure, they had 300-plus RPI the last time we had a single bid. You know, and, and you know that somebody's going to go into Olean and they're going to hang a bad loss on them. There's just right. no way around that. No, so. it's, it's a tough place to play regardless of anything else. Um, and, and just to zip back to the women's basketball standings sure. for a minute, you know, you talk about St. Bonaventure and how they impact the league on uh, both sides, men's and women's basketball. You know, let's talk about some other teams that have been doing pretty well in the A-10 lately. You know, you have Dayton Flyers, the mm-hmm. uh, George Washington Colonials. Uh, GW is 2-9 and nine right now. Yeah. I mean, granted, a couple of losses to ranked teams, but, I mean – some some not great looking losses to to James Madison, uh, you know, not 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 great. I mean, some tough opponents, but not great. Dayton is probably a little bit better off. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but 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 they always Dayton always has a really tough non conference schedule for the the women. Not not trying to interrupt yeah. you, but they, they almost always bring a a low win total into the league just because again the same thing as i was saying before about the women or the duquesne women you know they need to pile up those those wins uh in the in the non-conference season obviously they didn't so that makes you feel better yeah you know? exactly i was gonna say that that's absolutely fair except they they didn't exactly yeah. what you were saying so uh i think what we just kind of have to do is think about it the way we think about uh football you just let the non-conference wash away yeah. We're going to have to focus on the conference at this point. Let's look at these next couple of games, Pitt and Temple, uh, as really getting ready to go sure. for the conference season. I think they have to do it. I think there's some face saving. You know, it's not going to put them into uh, uh, build a tournament resume, uh, not large, or that large bid resume anyway. But I think there's some opportunity for some face saving here too. Um, if there's a team that can pull together, get it together, circle the wagons, I think it's this women's basketball team. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. So let's move on to the men's basketball team, who conversely won three of their last four. Now, uh, two of those, um, Maryland Eastern Shore, Maine, this pretty much went as expected. Uh, I I think there's a lot to be happy about there. Um, I don't know how much you really want to take from them, given the, the, I mean, Maine's a rebuilding team. Maryland Eastern Shore has not been a whole lot in in my recent memory anyway. Yep, but... Maryland Eastern Shore was a pretty unremarkable game. I, I thought the most interesting point um, of that one was how little Eric Williams Jr. played. That was sort of the height of the um, the Eric Williams Keith Dambro drama that's been going on the last couple of weeks. I mean, that was um, you know, I, I mean, I based on my you know my seats of the game, I you know, I, you can kind of get a really 
direct line to, you know, their interactions on the bench. And it was, you know, it was tense, I think, at times. I think it's a fair way of calling it. You know, I, I mean, you know, I, I think at one point Eric talked himself into the game and he played for a whopping two minutes and then was back on the bench again. You know, and you could see them just sort of the frustration play out between the two of them. I mean, obviously it seems to have gone away or it seems like it's heading back in the right direction again. You know, hopefully everything is resolved and resolved in a positive way that has made both coach and player better. Um, but, you know, that was the that was the most interesting thing about the, that game was, you know, something you're not going to see on a television camera, um, but just sort of watching their interactions unfold, watching, um, you know, the, the other players. It wasn't just... Um, Eric Williams that game it was TDM was uh, there as well Kellen Taylor um, none of those guys played uh, and and just sort of see their how they reacted and the different or differing ways that they reacted like that was the real drama of the the UMass game I mean it, other than that I mean Ryan Andino sort of went off for UMass I mean other than that it was in a great defensive performance by the Dukes. Uh, I really don't think um, without Andino, I mean, they would have been. I don't. I don't think UMass scores, you know, fifty points in that game. Mm-hmm. So, and I think there's something to be said too for getting some of the depth players in. I mean, regardless of what was going on, I, you know, I I only watched it. I did not have the angle that you had. Uh, so, regardless of what was going on, we, we, we've seen a lot of Eric Williams. We know what he offers. Sure. We've seen Tavian Dunmartin, young though he is. We know what he offers. Uh, getting uh, some additional minutes in there for Lamar Norman, for Frankie Hughes, etc. Uh, I, I think that's a good thing for the team. I, I mean, I, I think the best part of those games is, regardless of any of the drama pieces you're talking about, is some of the minutes that the depth players got to play um, against Division One competition, whatever we think of those particular teams. They got those minutes against D1 competition. Some of them made something out of it, you know, it, I think Lamar Norman Jr. played pretty darn well. He had a um, great week. I think if yeah. we, you know, um, <laughs> he really did. I mean, I think if we had a podcast um, last weekend, I, I think it would have been a, uh, it would have just been a Lamar Norman Jr. gush. <laughs> I think that's really what it would have come down to. So Sure, sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he played well. Um, so I, I think there is something to be said for that. And I think, at that point in the non-conference schedule, I think that's a fair way mm-hmm. to uh, to use your bench. Yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. And and ultimately, with Maine, they ended up getting the beatdown that we've all been dreaming of. You know, so <laughs> yes, that was not even you know Maine Maine just sort of got thumped. I mean, there's just really no way around that. You know, at one point uh, they nearly had, and I was hoping that it would cross this boundary. They nearly had as many turnovers as they did points. Oh wow! I didn't even, I didn't even catch that. That is a yeah, pretty were, amazing were you at, statistic. Yeah, yeah, I was listening. I, I was have, listening yeah. to it. Yeah, um, on ESPN Plus. Yeah, almost as many turnovers as points at one point. It was like when they had like twenty-one turnovers. I think they maybe had twenty-four or twenty-five points at that time. Uh, it was it was really something. Um, I liked how the Dukes, uh, in converse, kind of took care of the ball. Um, yeah. I, I think the only person who really got exposed in that way was probably Amari Kelly. Um, and he's yeah. learning. It, it takes some big guys. It just takes a while to develop. Um, and I'm really excited to see what Kelly is going to offer down the road. But uh, regardless, um, I, I think they played largely pretty cleanly. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't dominate the way that they did if you're not playing cleanly. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it was just you know, it was a romp. And, and again, it, it was a feel good romp. I mean, you know, you, you, we were talking about this with the women too. You, you take control of the game, you know, it, it is, um, you know, it's, it's part of learning how to win is part of, you know, you know, you have to put the throat on the, or the foot on the throat of some of those bad teams. And, um, and they did just that. Uh, and it was a nice to have a comfortable win. It was nice to, um, you know, not have to eat as many tums at the game mm-hmm. as I'm used to, you know, so, um, but yeah, you, I, you, you know, the, the one thing that, the one thing I want to see when you, we talk about using depth and, you know, of course we have a, a relatively inexperienced core of forwards. Um, I, I'd like to start seeing some of the block numbers increase. You know, I, I think that's really what's going to be part of, uh, some of the improvement, you know, Amari Kelly, if I recall correctly, was a pretty, uh, pretty prolific, um, 
blocker, shot blocker uh, back in high school. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see what, you know, what can Marcus Weathers do in that okay. way, some of the other forwards, what can, of course, uh, Hughes do that way. I, I think that's something that's going to need to start to increase from the forwards. And Kelly, I believe, in limited minutes, is leading the team in blocks. Um, you know, so so he is, when he is getting the opportunity in there, I mean, he's getting his share of fouls, too. Um, you know, but he is getting his blocks. I mean, uh, you know, it's, um, I don't know well, if it's, it, uh, you know, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that's something I actually wanted to bring up about Kelly. Uh, against um, against uh, Maryland Eastern Shore, no fouls. Um, I yeah. think he had, like, Double-digit minutes, no fouls. I was really happy to see that. Um, I think only two fouls against uh, uh, Maine. Now, granted, uh-huh. I, I mean, weaker opponent. Maybe you're not going to see as much coming at you. But uh, at the same time, starting to show a little bit of discipline there. Um, maybe not as much against Penn State. Uh-huh. But uh, but nonetheless, um, starting to show some discipline. If I recall, uh, Eastern Kentucky, um, I, I, I think he – did he have a foul? Maybe he didn't. I don't remember. But it was low if he had it. I I really didn't register, so I mean I don't. But starting think... to see some more in control is yeah. is the point. And, and we're like seeing that. we're seeing a lot of a lot of his fouls are coming on the offensive side too. Um, you know, which I, I think is interesting. Um, but you know, you've got to cheat more subtly on on those uh, on those <laughs> screens. You know, uh, and and he'll learn. I mean, you know, Penn State was a tough matchup for him because they they're very big. Um, and by big, I mean, you know, just wide in the post. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was just, uh, it's just not a good matchup for a freshman to, to play against guys that were that experienced, uh, you know, and that much, you know, sizable. I mean, he's going to grow into his body. I mean, Murray Kelly's already, you know, a pretty big dude, but he's going to get even bigger as, you know, the weight training and, and, you know, just, just filling out, you know, that you, you tend to do you know, between your eight, you know, when you're 18 and 21, you know, he's gonna just naturally become a bigger person. And, and, mm-hmm. and at some point in time, you know, he's going to be that upperclassman that's pounding on somebody else's freshman. Uh, and, and I, and I look forward to that, you know, I, I mean, he's definitely been a bit of a, you know, he's a work in progress, but again, like you said before too, you know, all post players are works in progress. Um, you know, and, and he is pretty reliable on the defensive side. I mean, again, you know, fouls being, um, you know, uh, fouls be damned, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but at the same time though, you know, he's, he's slowly coming along offensively and, and I think he will get there eventually. It's just going to take, take some time, you know, and that's mm-hmm. okay. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think the thing of it is, is we just need we need that offense from the post now from somebody other than Michael Hughes. And, and, you know, so it's sort of highlighted that, that, that he's, he's struggling, I guess, a little bit. Uh, it's, it's under the radar. I'm not under the radar, but it's on the radar because we need somebody else. You know, if he could just come in, you know, if we had a couple of guys that gave uh, besides Hughes that, that could score from the post, if he came in and gave, seven to 10 minutes a game where he rebounded well and blocked a couple of shots and defended well, mm-hmm. it'd be a welcome use of minutes. But, you know, right now he's playing a bigger role than he probably should be playing um, because of Hughes injury and him working back into health. Um, well, you know, you know, and let's not forget, uh, let's not forget Austin Rotroff there either. Sure. Oh yeah, no, no. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, and, and he's been, um, He's been kind of a mixed bag too. Um, he hasn't uh, been. He's another one though. I re- I mean, his wingspan is yeah. insane. I mean, I know he's six ten, but his wingspan is insane. Sure, he shows flashes um, even as a freshman. And I mean, he's another one, as you say, with Amari Kelly developing. I- I'm really looking forward to seeing what Rotroff develops uh, into as well. I do think there's a little bit more polish there at both ends uh, mm-hmm. for Rotroff. Um, Rotroff, you know, right, sorry. And, and, and I think, uh, and when I say mixed bag, I mean, you know, there's just ups and downs between performances, uh, or between games. Uh, and, and again, that's totally normal. You expect mm-hmm. inconsistency from freshman players, you know, even sincere carry, I mean, you know, as, as excellent as he's been, he's been pretty rough in a couple of games too. And, and again, that's just, you know, mm-hmm. as he gets, you know, as he gets older, he'll get more consistent, you know, it's just, just part of the development process. So, right. 
Well, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about that by moving into the uh, the Penn State game. You know, I, I think that's one game where Carey had moments that showed, hey, this is a freshman. Uh, he played he played pretty well for um, a lot of the game, but he had moments that said, "Hey, this is a freshman." You know, um, Weathers as well kind of showed. Not sure. obviously he's a sophomore, but kind of showed, "Hey, you know, our forwards are green." Sure. Um, and I, I think that's a lot about why they were they were in the the position they were. I think that you know another year of experience at the point, um, another year of experience for our forwards, and I I think the the results inverted, if not um, you know maybe. 10, 15 points for the Dukes. Mm -hmm. And I would actually argue that the Penn State game showed some development for Carey. Because mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, uh, Penn State tried to defend him a lot of the ways that uh, that Pitt did. Uh, tried to extend him to the perimeter. Uh, and, and I thought he answered the call much better, you know, having seen that style of defense once uh, from Pitt uh, against Penn State. I, I thought he looked considerably better against it. And, and I thought he performed better overall you know i mean pitt really rattled him and took him out of the game penn state he was still you know very much involved well i do think that part of it though is that uh i mean penn state kind of physical him but uh he managed to leverage that into getting to the line sure. a decent bit um and, and in fact uh, that was one way that if you want to compare the games that this game different different in general uh, the dukes got to the line a whole lot more oh um, yeah than Penn State did, um, despite the fact that at the end it felt like the officials maybe wanted to make up for that. But that's a lot's been said. <laughs> a lot's yeah. been said on that front. Yeah, I mean, um, and, and and I think that that highlight. You know, I mentioned this in a in a piece that I did for the the, the website. Um, before that flurry at the end of free throws for Penn State, and Duquesne had gotten to the line twelve more times. Uh, I mean. That kind of, for me, that puts to, to rest any, like, referee conspiracy theories that are out there. Um, you know, were the Dukes hard done in the end? I mean, uh, you know, we can talk about that. But, I mean, at the same time, you know, to think that the refs are just out to get Duquesne or, you know, that, that they wanted Penn State to win is just absurd. You know, at the end of the day, it's just absurd. No, I, I think it I think it's the wrong conversation about the refs, right? When anybody sure. kind of talks about a conspiracy for a team to win, it's the wrong conversation to have. Um, I, I think that I think the issue in general, and this goes across certainly more than just college basketball, but the issue in general is consistency from ref to ref, umpire to umpire, line judge to line judge, whatever you want it, whatever sport you want to talk about. The issue does come down to consistency. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how you solve that without like, you know, in, in baseball, do you have a computer call to strikes in, in basketball? How do you, how do you go for those judgment calls? I don't know, but I mean, you know, the, uh, Let's talk about, for example, the um, back the old Big East. You know, it was a it was known as a very very physical league, and the the refs just let stuff go uh, very often. It was it was just the kind of league that it was. And then you saw a lot of those teams that weren't UConn struggle when it came to the tournament, and they didn't yeah. have Big East refs. Is that how college basketball should work? I don't think so. Um, uh, there's there's just got to be more consistency to it. And, and like you said, between conferences too, because you end up inadvertently doing yourself a major disservice by by having your league be called one way, and then have the rest of college basketball being on a different wavelength. I mean, it's you know, it's an interesting point that you bring up there with the old Big East, and I think it's absolutely true. I mean, you know, and I still think you do have different flavors um, between different crews. I mean, I'm not really sure if. If you have a a league that is noticeably as different as the Big East of old was at one point, um, but you know, obviously this this crew has the uh, the ref show flavor. I mean, yeah. you know, it's you know they 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 like to be in the spotlight, and I mean, at the end of the day, um, they were kind of the ones that decided this game every bit as much as the players ended up deciding it. I mean, obviously Penn State's still made their free throws and that's what decided the game but you know they had that opportunity to comfortably go up there and and just you know shoot you know um i mean there were enough um they had enough opportunities that they're likely going to put the game out of reach 
Well, and you know, let's talk about the end of that game, Steve. I haven't, you and I haven't spoken about this, so I'm, I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts off the cuff here. Uh, what do you think about the, the situation there, Danbra, the technicals, the conversation that came off of it? So I, I went back and watched the final moments, the final play, uh, you know, on uh, somebody had posted it on Twitter and I went back and, and, and checked it out. I, I probably watched the video about 20 times. Um, there were four things that I noticed on the video, four different calls or non-calls that were made. Um, and uh, the first one being, you know, I, I was really in real time, I was wondering to myself, how the hell did Lamar Stevens get to the basket like unimpeded? Uh, and, and the truth is, is he actually cleared out sincere carry at around the three point line, you know, fully extended his left arm across his body. Um, sincere was actually in really good position to, um, to, to force Lamar Stevens into dribbling with his weaker left hand if he wanted to get to the basket. Um, you know, but you know, again, Stevens just straight up cleared him out. And I mean, granted there wasn't a clear out call called the entire game, uh, to that point. So it's, it's hard to say whether or not they would have actually called that there. I mean, that's probably actually kind of a good no call because it is at least consistent. It was no question in my mind, a foul, but at the same time, within the course of the game, the tone of the game, it would have been kind of strange for them to call it against, you know, against Stevens there. Um, the charge itself, um, really a 50-50 call. I think most of the time, you know, ref or uh, crews are going to just not blow the whistle there because they're not going to want to make the the call at, at the very end of the game. Um, you know, again, it was 50-50. If I, you know, looking back on it, uh, you know, looking at the replays, I actually thought Hughes got there uh, first. I thought that it was a charge if it was anything. Um, you know, so I think a lot of crews are going to call it a charge but they're more likely to not call anything. And again, that would have favored Duquesne because ultimately Stevens missed the shot. Um, and it would have gone to, uh, you know, we would have gotten the rebound. It would have gone to, uh, you know, overtime at that point. Um, so uh, the first technical I thought was um, was garbage. I mean, there's really no way around it. I mean, you're going to be hit. A coach is going to be hot uh, after that call. I was hot after that call. I was like, I couldn't believe that they actually called it. Um, you know, and then the technical was, you know, it was sort of like salt in the wounds. Um, I don't think the game was over at that point. I mean, Penn State hadn't been shooting free throws particularly well. Um, so to, to say that they were going to make four of four, I mean, ultimately they ended up making six of six to say that they were going to make four of four. Um, I don't know if I would have believed that was going to happen, especially after Lamar Stevens, uh, on the, uh, previous Penn State possession missed two. Uh, I don't know if he would have made uh, both of his free throws in that pressure pressure situation again. Uh, the second technical, uh, I think Keith Dambrot earned, um, <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it. You know, he he his reaction was over eventually over the, the to the actual technical was maybe a little over the top, um, and and I can totally understand why he was thrown out of the game. If he's running across the court, you know trying to get into a ref's face and he's got, you know, his, his players are like holding him back. Um, you know, that's probably, you know, that's pretty easy grounds for dismissal. Um, but you know, to get to that point though, it may have taken three bad calls or no calls. Um, you know, uh, the clear out nobody talks about though. I haven't seen that anywhere else. Uh, Besides, you know, the, the post that I made uh, to the website. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, it was just kind of, it was a really emotional time. You know, I think the last podcast we did, we talked about how I don't really get all that rattled emotionally by losses. I was pretty, uh, I was pretty <laughs> steamed after this one. So I was pretty steamed. And, and I, I can tell you, um, for any of you who don't know Steve personally, I, Steve is generally pretty measured. So it's not an exaggeration for him to say that if he got hot from a game then that's actually it's probably something worth getting hot about um i had no problem with his reaction over the top or not though it may be i think there's a time as a coach especially a tough love coach like Dambrod is where you also kind of have to show your team that you're fighting for them in yeah. more ways like you're you're with them in the trenches with them it's it's a tough um relationship to navigate because there's a lot of roles that a coach has to take on any leader of an activity like that um, 
I, I didn't have an issue with it. And I think that the long-term positives that Duquesne may come with from it are, are probably better than whatever, you know, did we beat Penn State this year or not? And of course, there's no guarantee, um, even if it doesn't go to the extent that it did. Um, you know, the, the positive attention that came from it, people saying like, if I, you know, if I'm a player, I want to play for Dan Brock because yeah. I know he has my back. Um, you know, uh, as people on the message boards have pointed out, people who don't talk about Duquesne unless it's for something negative, talking about Duquesne and saying positive things about the kind of guy that, or the kind of guy, the kind of coach at least, that Keith Dan Brock is. And I, I think that's a positive long term because, hey, you know, think, gosh, think about Thuggins, like, uh-huh. like down over top of his player who was just injured in the NCAAs. You know, it's those kinds of things that like, wow, this guy cares about his team, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, given that it was Thuggins, I couldn't really look at it that objectively, <laughs> but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I think, I think Dan Brode even said so much is, is that, you know, he, uh, uh, you know, it goes to show that I do care about, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can't say that I don't care, I think is kind of close to what his quote actually was. Um, you know, and, and I think it's clearly the case. He's very passionate. I think we knew that before that, well, yeah. you know, his, his mantrum, if you will. Um, we knew he cared before that. But at the same time, you can't argue with it now. The guy is clearly, you know, um, he's all in for his team. And, and I think... You know, seeing the positive messages, you know, from some Duquesne fans, um, seeing the positive, you know, uh, messages that have been retweeted by the players, it, it, it could be one of those moments. It could be a real rallying point for mm-hmm. the team and program. Right. Um, the You know, the only other thing I want to point out, and this was brought up on the radio as well, uh, he, he said the thing like Coach K doesn't get that technical. Right. Um, and, you know, that that led to I think a pretty important conversation too because a lot of people are like yeah that's true he probably doesn't <laughs> and um, you know it kind of goes back again to the consistency of, of refing that we we just talked about a moment ago so um, uh, I, I think he started some important conversations I think he also um, showed his players something and maybe even showed uh, uh, the media something as well I mean it's uh, I, I think that's a good thing to get out there and show your players you know what what the guys he's recruiting, what are they going to think about? I think that's a, a pretty cool thing. Um, let's move on to Eastern Kentucky. Uh, I think it was a, an exciting game. It was certainly more sure. trouble than expected. Um, what stuck out to me, Steve, is that they clearly had a plan to try and attack what Duquesne could do well. Mm-hmm. And Duquesne very clearly adjusted to it and and came out with the win. I think it was a good coaching win. And I think that was especially well played without sincere carry at the end sure yeah i mean they've they've managed to to pull a couple of games out with their stars uh or their top players you know not being available um they did so with michael hughes uh they've you know they did so against umass with only uh with between hughes and williams only playing four minutes um so yeah i mean it's it, it was it was definitely nice to see at the end of the day, let's let's call it what it is. I mean, you know, uh, Eastern Kentucky is not as good as Duquesne. They've, um, you know, but I do think it was just a really bad matchup. When you have a team that is trying to exploit turnovers from their opponents, uh, and and you know, and you're a team that does not take good care of the basketball on on most occasions, you know, that's not going to be a dream situation for you. Uh, you know, and and I think at the end of the day. You know, Duquesne does a nice job of turning their opponents over, and it ended up being an even split 21-21 turnovers. Um, so, but at the same time, though, you know, that doesn't bode well for you. You know, a team that's going to try to pressure you when you already turn the ball over enough as it is. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's certainly the case. Um, you know, and and they pressured, uh, they, they put a lot onto Sincere Carey and, and, and TDM. Uh, you know, I mean, there's eight of the turnovers right there. Um, those are your guys who are going to be handling the ball. Uh, you know, since you're your point guard, Tavian back up, though I think they were on the floor together a whole lot uh-huh. uh, as well. Um, but, but nonetheless, those are two of your guys who are going to primarily have the ball. So, um, you know, some of them, I think, were still those just sync issues as the team's learning. Um, you know, some of the passes and whatnot from what I saw. Sure. Um, a, a couple of those were, uh, I think, maybe charge. I think there was maybe... Um, a turnover that 
uh, Weathers, an extra turnover that Weathers should have gotten charged for. Just he just clearly wasn't where he needed to be. Um, that I think ended up with uh, Carey. But nonetheless, I mean, taking care of the ball is something the Dukes have still got to improve. Um, I, I don't recall it being a significant issue uh, last year, at least not one over and over again. So, I mean, certainly they're capable of it. Uh, certainly it's not an issue of how Dan Brock's coaching. It's just sure. getting this team together. No, I agree with that 100%. And, I mean, you know, it is going to take time. And I think we saw a couple of, you know, really – um, solid offensive performances to start the year, and I think that we forget the team is really still very young and still new to one another. Um, and 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 you know the you know the progress I don't think has always been linear this year uh, when it comes to the offense. Um, something else I wanted to really point out: um, we talked earlier about Eric Williams Jr. and his little mini spat with um, the, with the coach. Um, the complete 180 though from the UMass game. Um, you know he played four minutes in that one. He played 44 minutes uh, against uh, Eastern Kentucky, and the Dukes really needed him for every single minute of those. Yeah, I, they they sure did, and boy, he made a lot out of the time that he played. Um, yeah. uh, double double. I mean, 14 rebounds. I mean, he had a full quarter. Yeah. More than that of the Dukes' rebounds in that game, um, one once again impressed me. I mean, I've said it before. Um, Eric Williams Jr. may well be my favorite player on this team. Um, you know, I, I I think I understand whatever the spat may have been. I, I think when you got a, when you got a kid like that plays with a lot of passion, you got a coach like that coaches with a lot of passion. You know, sometimes just having passion isn't enough. You got to have it focused in the sure. right direction and on the right things. And I think it's easy for a clash to happen with that. Um, I, I I loved watching what what Williams did. I mean, he really helped uh, to carry the team. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. And, and they're going to need that. I mean, they need mm-hmm. that leader. I mean, uh, you know, we've seen Hughes carry the team at times. We've seen Carey carry the team at times. Um, no pen intended, obviously. But um, you know, it, it's nice to have those three um that where one of them can step up on any given night and be the star um you know i I think that's going to really you know and 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 this is going to be this group's going to be together for three years Uh, i mean that's absolutely insane to me you know assuming no transfers um you know it, it just absolutely crazy you know where where they can go um also you know the uh you know, the starting lineup shakeup, you know, Mike Lewis out, um, you know, Tavian Dunmartin in. I don't know if that was maybe just to help uh, help with the matchup a little bit, uh, you know, that, that pressure matchup, get another ball handler in there. But um, it was pretty great to see all five of those guys get into double figures. So, um, you yeah. know, again, you, you had said it was a good coaching win. I mean, I think it starts with who he – you know, just just choosing who to play. Uh, obviously, you know he got the right guys in in the right situations, uh, and and you know overall, you know again, you'd love to see a blowout there, but um, you know it was a good. You know they won, and that's I guess at the end of the day what matters. Even if they did play with fire for a little while. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Um... Let's uh, let's finish it off then, talking a little preview of uh, NJIT. Um, so they just beat Fordham. Then again, earlier they also lost to UMass Lowell. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what what do you make of this team, Steve? I think they're aren't they in a, on real time RPI? I believe right now they're in the top one hundred right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're yeah they're they might be top seventy. Yeah, oh, they're yeah. seventy two at the moment. Yeah. Okay, so. Um, I mean, looking at their stats, I mean, they, they're going to really remind you of a pretty classic St. Joe's teams. Uh, they get to the free throw line a lot. They also uh, don't turn the ball over ever. Um, you know, so that's going to be a difficult matchup for Duquesne because they're actually going to have to defend in the half court. You know, uh, they're not going to be able to rely on, uh, you, know, uh, you know, turning them over as much uh, to end possessions. Uh, you know, they're going to have to end them with defensive rebounds. Uh, and, and I mean, NJIT is not a great shooting team, um, but you know Duquesne hasn't been super reliable on defensive glass this year either. Um, so they're going to have to be. That's that's really going to have to be their focus 
uh, in this game is is just pounding the the boards, you know, taking care of business, putting a body on somebody, um, because again, they're not going to generate twenty one turnovers against this team. If they do, I, I mean, there's I think there's about a zero percent chance that NGIT wins. But I mean, this is a team that could sneak up on them. I, I mean, I don't think that they're they're not great. Um, you know, I, I you know once they hit their conference schedule, they're clearly going to fall out of the top one hundred in RPI. Um, but at the same time, this is a team that could definitely steal one from the Dukes because for the exact opposite reason of Eastern Kentucky being a difficult matchup, you know, NGIT is also going to be a difficult matchup. Sure. Um, I, I think the matchups I'm interested in, uh, obviously, Abdul Lewis, uh, the 6'10 forward, uh, he plays for them, um, and Zach Cooks, undersized guard, but uh, both of them have scored in bunches. Uh, Cooks gets a lot of minutes um, they are, I mean, it's going to be a question of, um, how, how do our guards match up? You know, how, how sincere Tavian, Don Martin, Lewis, et cetera, how are they going to match up against Zach Cooks? Um, what are they going to be able to do there? And then of course the, um, the, the forward play, um, you know, Abdul Lewis is going to need, uh, some attention paid to him. Uh-huh. Um, they, they're really going to have to be careful inside on both ends, on both ends. Um, and that's the, the, those are the two things I'm most interested to see here. Yeah, it's going to be a better game than I think people thought it was going to be coming into the season. So, um, well, people remember NJIT yeah. as like the team that didn't win for right. You know, um, it's I mean, regardless of their strength of schedule, and it, it does kind of surprise me that they are in like 72. I mean, one lo- one win against a top hundred RPI team. Um, they beat a good Brown team, but yeah, I, I mean it's. Uh, that, that, that's it. I mean a lot, a loss, two losses against people 150 plus. Yeah. I mean I, I don't know, um, I don't know, but uh, regardless of that, um, there's certainly a different team, a different um, mentality coming in sure. to the Palumbo Center. Wait, is it home? Yes, it is. Of course yeah. it's home. Yeah. <laughs> a different team. It, it better be. I'm going to Milano's on New Year's Eve. <laughs> A different team coming into the Palumbo Center than past years. Well, that is a long one, Steve. Yeah, um, but we, knew we had it was a lot be. to talk about. Yeah, we did, we did. But uh, we're still under sixty minutes, so I think we are in our goal. Uh, everybody, we thank you so much for listening. There are a lot of ways that you could spend your time. We really appreciate that you choose to spend some of it with us. We will see you again in about a week. We'll see how the holidays uh, mess with our schedule here. But until then, Merry Christmas and let's go Dukes. Oh.